Rob Reamer says this, think of your soul like a suitcase. He says, think of your soul almost like a suitcase. Uh, if your suitcase is packed, so you know, like if you've ever been on a trip in a hotel and you're just like at the end of the week, you're just stuffing it. If it's just stuffed full with a bunch of t-shirts and sweatshirts, socks, whatever, labeled pain, hurt, disappointment, grief, and the like, then there's no room in the suitcase for t-shirts and sweatshirts like joy, love, peace, and fullness of God. He says, you have to unpack the suitcase before you can create room for the freedom and fullness of God. Too often you have a suitcase that is three-fourths filled with soul sludge and there remains so very little room for the fullness of God. So as an example, if the suitcase of your soul is filled with hurt and anger, there's no room for joy and real deep peace. So if that's the case, you have to, in the presence of God, grieve and forgive to open up space in the suitcase of your soul. Okay, so one of the things I said last week and if you're a guest or you're new, really glad to have you here. Uh, we're in a series in Galatians, but the Holy Spirit is helping uh, at least show me as a pastor what he's doing in the life of our church specifically. And one of the things he's doing in the life of our church uh, is he's cleaning up, he's cleaning house. That is like, it, we really sense God is going before us and in your lives and in the lives of those at the shore, he's beginning to bring stuff up even before I'm preaching on this stuff, because he really wants to love you. He really wants to, to cleanse this shore. And here's why he's doing it. I really believe the Holy Spirit wants to clean up the suitcase of our soul so that he can fill us more with his spirit so that we can be his active presence on the North Shore. Burnaby, wherever God has you, that he wants to build a kingdom and he wants to help you be filled with the power that Jesus was filled with so that you can go and do what Jesus did the way Jesus did it. But he loves you and he wants to work in your heart. So that's what I'm doing uh, in this series. And it's so providential that every text has to do with the stuff. So I thank you, Lord. Uh, but let me say this, self-awareness, uh, both in you and in the church is the gateway to transformation. Okay, it is the gateway. Let me be clear. It's not the guarantee of transformation, but you can't actually get to transformation. You can't actually get to freedom with Jesus and fullness of the spirit without it, okay? You, you need to have a level of self-awareness. And here's, what, here's the thing I'm talking about. What often hinders your ability to be self-aware and give Jesus access to this stuff in your suitcase uh, is, is simply that you have given access to lies, without really knowing it or being aware how these lies are impacting your life. This is the whole point of this passage. So Paul is in the middle of this letter in Galatia and this church has like been entangled with all these lies that the way they're gonna get more of God and be sure they're God's children is by doing Torah stuff, by circumcision, by, by works of the law. And so these false teachers have come in and they've put lies under the faulty foundations of the gospel and they've choked out the gospel and 
And Paul's like, you guys are abandoning the gospel. You're abandoning Christ because you're, you're sitting on these faulty lies. And so what he's gonna do today, and what I wanna do today is I want the Holy Spirit to come and I want him to show you some of the stuff, the way the Holy Spirit would come into the church of Galatia and show you what are the faulty foundations that you've got the gospel wrong. Some of you have the gospel wrong. Now, let me say this really, really carefully. You have the gospel right up here, but it hasn't, it hasn't changed how you live. So something's wrong there. There's an entanglement going on. And so that's what the Holy Spirit wants to untangle this morning. And so um, that's what Paul's gonna go after in this passage, those faulty foundations. That's what I wanna go after. Uh, but again, uh, this is what I bring to this sermon right here. Nothing. I bring nothing. So we need the Holy Spirit. And I want you to, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna invite the Holy Spirit to come. And I want you to be ready to receive uh, from him through his word. And so I'm gonna ask you just to, again, like I did last week, um, if, you wanna, if you wanna give Jesus access to the, some of those lies that you're believing today, um, I want you to put your hands out like this when I pray. And I just, I want you to agree with, the Holy Spirit. I want you to ask him to show you what are the faulty foundations um, that I could be believing. Now, here's the key that are untrue before Jesus. You might feel something, but before Jesus, it's not true. And so you don't want to be living a lie with you on the throne. If Jesus is on the throne, you want to say, show me the faulty lies before you that are untrue. Okay. So if that's, if you're there, but if you're not there yet and you're like, I actually like my lies. That's fine, you just listen and, and you could open up later. But let me pray and then, then we'll get after it, all right? You guys good? This feels really charismatic. Okay, it's fine. Uh, so Holy Spirit, I just wanna invite you to just come now. Just thank you that you really do abide in us. You love, like you, you, your word says that, the word you wrote says that your love, the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by you, Holy Spirit. And so we just pray as we just sang that we would just experience the healing presence of Jesus. And some of us have not actually had you reveal to us some of the lies we've believed since like grade three, since we were four years old. And so right now, Holy Spirit, I invite you to show us where we, like the churches in Galatians, are like standing on a faulty gospel, stuff that's not even true before Jesus. And Lord, have your way. Like this is, this is your church. I love what you're doing. We have no idea what you're gonna do in June. So we wanna pray for that. We wanna pray for this space. We have no idea where we're going, but I don't think you want us to worry about that till we worry about what you're doing in us. So I just pray for those who call the short church home that they would just right now just be ready 
to say, Spirit, come. And anyone who has a hard heart, right now, I pray that they would have an experience and encounter of a filling of the Spirit during this gathering. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Okay, so we're gonna look at the faulty foundations in Galatia. Now, I need to ask you a big favor, okay? So many of our minds uh, this week have been in like Instagram or like really quick, like our brains don't focus that well anymore, uh, including mine. And, and I got other reasons why it doesn't focus well, but uh, I think me and Gideon both share some ADHD. But anyways, so here's what I need you to do. I, I am going to walk through some really complex verses, um, but, I need, but I need you to help me, like, st- to stay with me. So I'm gonna build on a foundation. I'm gonna pull this thread through, and then we're gonna apply the passage. But if you can just be like, okay, focus. Like, if you feel yourself drifting, just go, okay, ba- I'm back. So I'm gonna have all the passages on the screen. Um, it's, I think God really wants to show you some of this stuff, some of the stuff that you haven't even learned about your Old Testament. He's gonna unpack, and you're gonna be like, I never knew that, okay? So that's what you wanna have this morning, uh, an impact of the Spirit, both in here, but in here as well. So you ready? Faulty foundations. Galatians 3, I'm gonna actually start in verse six. We hit some of this last week, but I'm gonna pick it up. I'm gonna teach, I'm gonna read, teach, read, teach. I have no points, so you gotta stay with me. We're gonna read, unpack, read, unpack, and then apply. Okay, here we go. Verse six on the screen. Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law, you know, like when you experienced the Holy Spirit and he was doing miracles, would that, those miracles come because you were obeying Torah and you got circumcised? No, he's like, no, you were there. You, all the Spirit's love and filling and power came when you put your faith in Christ, hearing with faith. Okay, now watch what he does. Now he's gonna do some Old Testament teaching and show us what the law is, what the faulty stuff is on, and how we can have faith. And the basis of faith is how we know we're saved. Okay, so follow me. Verse six. No, you got it with hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, the Bible, foreseeing that God would make right, justify, save, redeem the Gentiles, like the whole world, not just the Jews. How? By faith, he preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying to Abraham, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Verse nine, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Okay, so stop there. Let me explain what's going on. So we have Abraham. He's making this argument that it's always been, salvation has always been by faith in God's promise to save. It's never been about what we do. So he goes, let's go back to Abraham. This is the first person the Jewish nation would know and all the Judaizers who are trying to trip the gospel up. Um, so he goes to Abraham, who's the first person, remember, who, that God comes to outside of Adam and Eve in Genesis with a promise. So God's promise comes to this guy and it's a promise. I'm gonna redeem, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna send the redeeming hope of the world through your line. And so how many of you remember this story? Most of you, some of you haven't grown up in church and that's okay. We all kind of got new to the Bible. But if you remember the story, God comes to Abraham, he says, look at the stars, 
right? He's got switch foot playing when you look at the stuff. It's just listening. Um, and he goes, that's what I'm going to do through your line. I'm gonna redeem that amount of people and it's going to include the nations is the promise. And this is gonna come through your seed. I'm rescuing a people this big who will have relationship with me. So he says that, now watch this in Paul's argument. He says that in Genesis. So in this promise comes in Genesis. He said, it's gonna include the nations. In you, the nations will be blessed, verse eight. And Paul says, that was the gospel. So the gospel, he says, was preached to Abraham. So Jesus was the seed that was coming from Abraham's line that would reach the Gentile nations. He made that promise. Now here's the question he's wanting to press into their faulty foundation. How at this point with Abraham, did Abraham receive standing before God? How did Abraham at this point receive forgiveness and blessing and favor and relationship and intimacy with God? At, like, like, like how at this point did he get that? Answer, was it by Torah? Was it by 10 commandments? No, there's no 10 commandments yet. Abraham believed all that stuff by faith. So he, he, got, he was made right with God by faith and it was counted to him as righteousness. Okay, you with me? Really interesting. Okay, keep reading, verse 10. For all who, look on the screen, who all who rely or depend on works of the law or on human effort, keeping festivals, are, are under a, what's our word? Curse. Okay, let's try that again. Um, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. How do we know that? Well, he tells us the Bible says in Deuteronomy, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So if you don't do what the Torah says perfectly, you're cursed. So he's just saying, you can't even get saved by trusting in the Torah, right? This is what he says in verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified or accepted before God by the law. He's just showing them, you guys are sitting on a wrong foundation for the righteous shall live by faith. And then he says in verse 12, but the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. So he's like, guys, the law's purpose has never had faith to get saved. So if you wanna do that, then, then live perfectly but you can't. Okay, so stop now for a second and think about this with me. When our hearts see God's beauty and glory and otherness, let's just, just look at the 10 commandments, for example, in the Torah, we see mostly what? We don't really mostly see the glory of the holiness of God's truthfulness. We go, thou shalt not lie, crap. Or like put other, don't put any other gods before me. We're not like, man, he's so beautiful. If I just have him first priority, I will be the happiest person on planet. We go crap, right? The law, it's beautiful. David says it's like honey to his soul. But when we look at the law, we feel cursed because we know we haven't loved God with our whole heart and we haven't treated our neighbor as ourself on and on and on. I love the way Keller points this out. He says this, it'll be on the screen. If you only listen to the law faintly, it'll just make you feel a little guilty. If you really listen to the law, it'll imprison you. It'll bind you up. It'll knock you out. It'll throw you down. It'll say, quote, you need something besides me if you're ever gonna find God. And this is where Paul's like, guys, you forgot the cross again. Look at verse 13. 
Christ redeemed us. He set us free, he delivered us. Jesus did this from the curse of the law. The law could never save you if all it could do was just curse you. But Christ set us free from living under this rule stuff by becoming a curse for us. How do we know that? Well, the Bible says, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. Where did Jesus die? On a tree. So that in Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So he says the gospel that was promised to Abraham's seed is Jesus Christ. And now the whole nations get it because of Jesus. The law doesn't even count anymore. You don't need it anymore. That's his whole point. We don't need the rules. The curse of seeing our need under the this, under this fact that we couldn't obey went on Jesus. He obeyed it for us. And then he paid sin's penalty. So let me say this right here, okay? Look, look right at me. You and I cannot go deeper with God. Let me ask, show of hands, how many of you, you wanna go deeper with God? You just, you just go like, that's why I'm in church. I wanna go deeper with God. So let me tell you, you cannot go deeper with God if you don't take hold of and rest upon in your inner being this truth, namely he's freed you from needing to be perfect. He, he's absolutely freed you to get your, to get to, for you to try to get your self worth or relationship and intimacy by performance. That's totally gone. That's not how this works. Christianity has nothing to do with your performance. It all has to do with our faith in his. So that's free, okay? So, so you still, some of us don't believe that. So let me say it this way. The courtroom of heaven is adjourned over your life. Okay, you don't need to keep looking for a verdict on your life. Eugene Peterson, he translates one of these verses, he says, doing things for God is the opposite of entering into what God has done for you. Some of us, we just, we kind of just go like, we're like, we, we keep going into the courtroom of, you know, the verdict. We always want like, what do you think of me? Like, you know, some of us, it's people pleasing, right? We get a sense of value and self-worth from what people think of us. So we're still in the, we're in the courtroom of other people's opinions. In that moment, you're not believing the gospel of the courtroom of God, that your value is coming and has been settled for you on the cross. You're fully loved. You're fully, you're still looking for it outside of Jesus. So let me say this, Jesus, um, I believe this morning, he really wants to show you where you're still trying to get your worth, who you are. And you, you actually believe that someone else, for some of you, it's your dad. Your father holds the ultimate uh, presence of the judge in the courtroom to get your sense of meaning from. And so Jesus is not even in the courtroom of your life. You now have your, your father, what your mom thinks of you. And now the way you feel worthy, the way you feel loved, the way you feel like your life has significance, the way you fill your tank up, all that insecurity is you spend, you know, extra hours at the office because you know that like if, if people look at, you're such a hard worker, you'll get identity from, you know, your dad will be like, wow, look at you, you're doing amazing. You know, you're the cleanest mom, your house is so perfect. And you're, you're actually getting your value and worth from how your mom raised you. And you have no idea you're doing that. You just think that's how your mom raised you. And, but really deep down, you get anxiety when people come over if your house is dirty. You, you're just riddled with like so much uh, 
anger because things are not done perfect. And if they're not done perfect, you don't feel in control. And so you, you, control is how you're feeling the emptiness of your value. You're still looking for a verdict in life. So we read these texts. We're like, oh, Jesus Christ, so the curse means nothing to you because you actually haven't stopped and said, Jesus, I, I still am living under a curse. Whenever you have anxiety and you feel small, it's because you're under a curse. You believe there's something like Torah that you need to do to get your sense of value from. And that's what I want you to bring to Jesus this week. And listen, this stuff that we feel is lacking in our souls and we know it is, it comes from all kinds of stuff. It comes from stuff that's happened to us, words that have been spoken over you, family slogans. Like we work hard in this family. That's, if you live your whole life and that's the radio you hear, yeah, that's your gospel. You don't believe the true gospel. You do sometimes, but Jesus has never come into that and shown you that's not true before me. And so let, let me say this, sure. We don't need more gospel-driven books. You know what we need? We need a revelation from the Holy Spirit where he takes the gospel and he applies it to specific pains. Because you can read and know a lot in here and you can be in bondage in here and Jesus really hasn't set you free. So the stuff that I'm talking to you right now about are called symptoms. Symptoms. They're telling you that there's a false self. There's lies you're holding on to that Jesus wants to heal. So here's what I wanna do. I actually wanna take a moment in the middle of the sermon right now and I wanna invite Jesus to show you uh, what lies and what false values you are, you are trusting in that feels like a curse on your life. And then I want you to ask Jesus, I want you to picture Jesus on the cross and I want you to imagine all those curses, the ways you're feeling value and I want you to see Jesus on the cross and he's becoming that curse. He's taking it away. The love for you and your value was settled at the cross, okay? So just take a moment and invite Jesus to take some of any anxiety you felt this week, anything that God just spoke to you right now and you were like, bang, 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 that was me. Just bring that to him and say, Jesus, I receive in your name that your blood has covered that curse. Heal that, heal that place. Jesus, I just ask right now that, that you would 
allow everyone here to just hear your voice tell them that that place is covered with your life and it's covered by your blood. And I ask you that you would just almost tell them now, whisper them in your ear, the verdict is in. That, that everyone in here whom you have adopted and died for on the cross, you've redeemed. You love them. I just, I pray that they could almost feel your hand taking them out of the courtroom and they can look back and the door's just covered with your blood. They don't need to go back in there. They don't need to look for a sense of worth from their performance anymore. And that's truth before God. And so help us to live with the truth of your word before you. And so Holy Spirit, I, I know there's so many in here who just thought in their head, this is coming too fast for me. I don't even know how to start looking into my own soul. And they feel anxious about even this moment. I just pray that this week that you would just give them a moment of silence where you would begin to take them back to this place in Jesus' name. All right, he continues, verse 15. So he's like, you guys, he, he's like, the law's point was never to give you salvation or right relationship with God. It's always been by promise. So then he's gonna give us an example to give you a human example, brothers, even with a man-made agreement, like a will or a covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. You got to sign a contract. You don't add to it. So watch how, what he does with this analogy. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. And it does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring. He says, that's Jesus. Who is Jesus Christ? And then he tells you what he means. This is what I mean. The law, the, the Torah, the 10 commandments, which came when 430 years afterwards, doesn't annul this covenant. This, it was just, this was already made. This is previous, like God designed salvation by promise. The law doesn't even touch that. Verse 18, for if the inheritance comes by law, it no longer comes by promise. It's either law or promise, you pick. He says, it's promise. But, give it to Ab but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So the Torah, when it came, did not scratch out the gospel. It didn't mess with what God says about how we get right with him. Doing things for God, Old Testament stuff, is the opposite of entering into what God does for you. Are you with me on that? This is really, really life-giving. If you're like, oh my goodness, I, I saw the Ten Commandments totally different. Okay, let's keep going. I'm gonna read this from the NIRV. So if you're tracking with me in an ESV, you're not gonna see it because the NIRV just says this with a little bit of clarity. Uh, it, it takes me less to explain it. Okay, you ready? You guys good? Okay, thank you. Then what was the purpose of the law? If you're like, we don't need this, Paul. We've never needed it to be saved. We've always needed promise. Uh, then why, why the law? He's gonna tell you right now. Good question. It was added because of human sin. God needed to show you, you need a savior, basically. And it was supposed to control us until the promised seed had come, till Jesus came. The law was put into effect, 
Now, no commentator knows what this means, okay? Because it's not in our, in our Old Testament. So I can't explain it to you about the angels doing this because we know God gave it to Moses. But there must have been some angelic beings on that mountain who transferred this stuff, or maybe the, the angels carved it. These are all the options that people give us because this is the first reference of angels showing up with the Ten Commandments, okay? So maybe they're like, this angel power is cool. Anyways, I don't know. Okay, but I'm just gonna read it because what the Bible says. So the law was put into effect through angels by a go-between. A go-between does not take sides. God did not use a go-between when he made his promise to Abraham, but the same God was at work in both the law and the promise. So is the law opposed to God's promises, right? Should we hate the law? No, not at all, because David says it's actually his delight. Paul's saying, I'm not saying the law's bad. I'm just saying its role was never to be the means by which you're accepted and complete with God. It's actually been there to guide and love you. But guess who's guiding and loving you right now? Who? You guys know this by now. The Holy Spirit. That's Paul's whole point in this letter. The law helped them live life in the fullness of God. And now that we have, say it with me, who? The Holy Spirit. Okay, try again. You guys, it's fine. I'm, you know, I love you. I'm with you. I'm gonna help you follow. Who is the new law in us? Say it. The Holy Spirit. That's right. The Holy Spirit is. Good. That was, yeah. Okay, where am I? Sure, so he's like, uh, so is the law opposed to God's promises? Certainly not. What if a law had been given that could give life? then people would become right with God by obeying the law. But scripture announces that the whole world is a prisoner because of sin. It does so in order that what was promised might be given to those who believe. Now watch this. The promise comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Before faith in Christ came, we were held prisoners by the law. We were locked up until faith in Jesus was made known. So the law was put in charge until Christ came. He came so that we might be made right with God by believing in Christ. Again, he says, the law will say, you need something besides me if you're gonna find God. Verse 25, but now faith in Jesus has come. So we are no longer under the control of the law for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. That's how you get sonship, through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That is identity language. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, that's beautiful. That's language of ownership. You belong, you have blessing, you have communion. Then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So let me just say this, we'll stop in terms of the text here. The law doesn't own you and it can't save you and it never has. It's always been by promise. The law showed you you needed a savior and then when that savior came, he did everything you needed to get the new law in you so that you could have ownership by Jesus and now you have the spirit of God living in you. You don't need to grow by the law. That's his point in Galatians. So let me say this. What our tender-hearted Father in heaven is doing in your life is he's working out in the realm of your soul what he's, what's already taken place in the heavenly realms through Jesus. So underneath 
What Paul's after is they have forgot identity stuff. You don't know who you are, right? If you look at all Paul's letters, what does he do in the first few like chapters? He says, this is who you are in Christ. This is what Jesus has done. And then this is how we live in light of it, right? So let me say this. The issue of your value is settled at the cross. Jesus canceled in himself the curses you feel in your failing. It's done. You're loved. He's, he's canceled the curse you feel in your failing. And so the key problem with our identity is that we often believe lies about ourselves and about God's love and work in Jesus. That's the key problem in your identity. So let me ask you this. How do you know you've got lies? Well, like I said before, we look at symptoms. Okay, there's often stuff we cling to, like Torah stuff, works, if I just obey more, if I just, you know, listen to like, you know, 10 minutes of Hillsong, then I will experience something, you know, we have, we, we, or, or it's, it's crazier, it's longer. We, we, what we do is we cover up. We do what Adam and Eve do. We cover up to, because we want acceptability, significance, worth. And what's sad is what we do in that moment is you agree with the lie. For some, that's, you're, you're, that, that lie is success, control, looking a certain way. So here's what we need to do. We need to get along with the spirit and we need to say, I give you access. Will you show me the, the lies that I'm believing, the false self, the truths that I don't believe about you? We need to get along with the Holy Spirit and we need to ask him to open up the suitcase of our soul and we need to wait until he tells us. Okay, I know this is crazy. So I told you to do this last week um, and some of you did and it was incredible. So Matt Leonard, he's actually gonna have him share this in a second. He's like, James, I gotta tell you, you know, he's, got, he's like, he's always smiling and fun. I, I can't do an impression of him because I'd just be mean. <laughs> okay, so he comes up to me, he's like, I did it and it worked. I was like, what, it worked? What are you talking about? So he's like, okay, on Sunday, I got this time alone. And it was like, it was a miracle. I got this time alone. And he's like, I just, I said, I said, Jesus, come. And I just waited. And he said, what happened next changed my entire life. I was like, what happened? And he was like, Jesus came into my, into my mind and he started showing me the last five years. And, and year by year, he led me to forgive so many people. And then he took me back to my past and he showed me how much he loved me in different places. And he said, I have never felt peace like this in my entire life. He's like, where has this been? And I was like, Matt, you have no idea. I freaked out last Sunday and I told people just to wait as if Jesus was gonna do something. That's new for me too. But I wanna tell you something. If you slow down and you really believe he's real and you invite him into your life, he wants to tell you stuff. Okay, theology 101, God's smart. He actually knows stuff we don't know. So if you say, what lies am I believing? And you wait, he wants to tell you. We, sure, I, I'm, I am done with trying to just trust in a Keller book. Here you go. Get along with Tim Keller and read his paragraphs seven times until Jesus, like, 
No. Keller is great, and God can use Tim. I mean, you know, I'm just using an example. Any book. What you and I need is not another book. If you've never encountered the Holy Spirit, that's what you need. That's what you need. So I'm going to help you now bring stuff to Jesus. I don't even know how our time is, so I'm sorry, guys. We'll just keep going. Mark, you're used to this. Okay. Actually, you guys are like strict on a timer, aren't you? You know, kind of. Okay. Here's what I want to do right now. Since, since you can, listen, this is really key. Since you can never rise above your self-awareness, the first step needs to be identifying the lies that shape you. And to identify these lies, you have to pay attention to symptoms, okay, in order to diagnose what's going on. So David Benner in his book, he writes, these will be on the screen. He writes this in his book, while other people's excessive attachments and personal falsity often seem glaringly apparent to us, it's never easy to know the lies of our own life. So here's some clues to discover you have false self, you have a false way of being. Here's the first one, is, your de- is defensiveness. Okay, so Benner says this, next quote from him, because of its fundamental unreality, the false self needs constant bolstering, right? Touchiness dependably points us to false ways of being. So, you know what? I was going to tell you, I was going to mention us in a sermon, but I forgot. I'm so sorry. Okay. I see this most in my relationship with Nikki. Okay. Almost always, whenever my wife graciously points out ways I have left her to feel like, you know, she's not a priority or things that I need to work on, uh, which she's always right, I immediately get defensive. Like, I don't know, I I just do. So she'll say something like, James, I feel like you don't want to involve me. Like my opinion isn't meaningful. What's my response? First thing, that's not true. Or like, no, I don't. And she's like, oh, so you're just doing it again. That's fine. Okay. It's like, ah, she's right. So then I'm like, okay. Now I'm like, whoa, I'm aware. I'm defensive. Okay. How many of you are defensive? You're You're just a defensive person. Okay. The rest of you are liars. You're all liars. That's a different issue you need to bring to the Holy Spirit. You are. We're all offensive. Okay. Um, And so there's stuff I got to work on with her. But in that moment... I'll tell you what's happening. I have a faulty self. So in that moment when I'm like, no, I don't, something's going on that's actually gonna keep me from loving her and actually being a present like friend with her and actually seeing that her words have more value than I'm giving them. And here's what, underneath my defensiveness is I'm believing that I get my greatest self-worth from success. And if I feel like I failed or I feel like I'm not a great husband, I'm I'm living on a false sense of self-worth. My identity is in my performance and keeping me from loving her. And that can only come from the Holy Spirit telling you that stuff. And you you don't just get to know your lie. You actually bring your lie to Jesus and say, Jesus, what do I need to believe about you to be free from this. Will you, so, so here's the thing, pay attention to what you're defensive about, okay? Second thing, you know what? Let's just, we'll finish this next week because we are running low. Defensiveness, here's two things for homework, okay? Find out where you're defensive, the moment you're defensive. And if you're like, I'm not really a defensive person, just ask three people around you. Just say this, if I were to be a defensive person, perhaps, if I, would, what am I defensive about? 
And whatever they say, don't get defensive. Go, okay, taking that to my hour with the Holy Spirit and just sit with the Holy Spirit for an hour of silence because I'm gonna ask you to do that again. And I want you to just wait till he tells you why you're defensive, okay? That's your homework this week. Let's stand together. We're gonna pray. Love the kids. Kids, you can come on in. We're gonna sing and uh, respond. So uh, every week we do this, we respond with communion, which is remembering Jesus' blood was broken for us. His life was given to us. We actually have his new life in us. Um, And so we're gonna take communion together. Uh, But here's one thing I want you to do. Mark's gonna start playing. And and, uh, I want you, before you take communion, I actually want you to ask the Holy Spirit, is there anything I need to confess? And if he shows you that there's a relationship with someone in the shore that you've been gossipy about, uh, that you have actually hurt, don't take communion today. I want you to text them and get coffee with them and say, I've talked behind your back and I'm really, really sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I was feeling really insecure. And you know, you're, you're such a good mom and it threatened me. So I made fun of you. Like whatever it is, don't take communion because that's just what the Bible says. Uh, because you need to get relationally right because you've been forgiven. You're loved and accepted by God. You could take communion based on his grace. But Jesus says in the, in the Bible, if you got something against your brother, you go to them first, then come take communion. So let's just obey the Bible. Um, and, but I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, is there anything I need to confess before I take communion? And if there is, and if, it, if, if you've already confessed it, you don't need to confess it again. Just take communion. You're forgiven and loved. But if there's something you need to confess, just tell him, I'm sorry for this. And, he's, and here's why you want to do that, because he wants to forgive you. Sometimes what keeps you blocked with your relationship with God is you, don't, you just don't believe he's forgiven you. But if you've never confessed it and you've never taken communion going, that's covered, you won't feel forgiven and free, okay? And then we'll be, we'll be praying over there and we'll sing. And if this is your church, please give. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for just the beauty of the promise you gave to Abraham, which was fulfilled in Jesus. And we're always saved by faith, not by our works. So I thank you that when we confess, we're not confessing because we gotta go figure out, be good, and then you'll love us. That's just not there. But we want you to take out the dirty socks, the sin, so that we can bring them to you, Jesus, who can heal them because on the cross, you did. So we love you, work in us now. So Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name, amen.